0: Good morning, Docs Church. Guys, it's it's great to see you. I'll tell you off the bat, I am a everything after Thanksgiving Christmas guy is totally fine. The stuff before that. So I don't know how I feel about saying Merry Christmas already. But I'm there's great joy in not being in control. And my wife told me this morning, like I'll have the Christmas tree and decorations upstairs for you to decorate after you get home today. So pray for me. I love it. It's the joy and suffering that Paul's talking about, but as you get to uh, your Bibles out, turn to chapter 3 of Philippians, all right? Um, we are continuing this journey. It's going to be great today. I'm anticipating God doing some like, great things. If you are new to Doxa, two quick things for you. Number one, my name is Rob. It's great to have you here. Um, welcome to the Doxa family. I hope we get a chance to meet you before you head out. But the second thing I'll tell you is that one of the things that we do here at Doxa as we gather like this every week is we open up the Bible together, that we really believe that this is a book that God wrote. And in it are the words from God to us, to teach us who he is, to teach us who we are, and really the lives that we live. And our propensity as a church, as we gather, is, is to really just go through books of the Bible, kind of slow and steady, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, anticipating and expecting God to speak to us through his word. And so you're joining us in the middle of a study through the book of Philippians that we started about seven weeks ago, this great Joy filled book of Philippians. And so, if you do not have a Bible, we would love to give you one as a gift. As you head out of here, you can go to the left. There's a wall full of Bibles. You can go to the info corner by the coffee bar and just grab a bunch for your family as kind of like our gift to, to you. That's one of the best things that we could give you is the gift of, of God's word. But here's where we're at today in Philippians chapter 3. Okay, I'll, I'll set it up like this. Okay, a few days ago, I had a clogged sink drain. In my bathroom. Not a, not a huge deal, right? You just go to the store, find the, the drain cleaners. And I don't know if you've ever been to this aisle in Home Depot before, but it feels like you're buying some like contraband, like radioactive material, just like really sketchy labels on everything. I grabbed one called Liquid Fire, okay? And uh, it was in a heavy duty bag with like a Ziploc on top, and on it was like this big yellow sticker with the word warning in all capital letters surrounded by fire, okay? And underneath it was a bullet point list that said, "Will burn away skin, corrosive to eyes, fatal. And so I I thought about it, I'm like, that should do the trick, right? Liquid fire, here we go. So I dump it in the drain, close it back up, I throw it under the sink, walk away, and as I'm walking away, I remember thinking, like, I just pictured Titus, my son, in in my head and I was like, he's totally going to find that bottle and think it's like... Bubbles, right? Fire bubbles, cool, right? And he's going to burn off his skin or die or something like that. So I hit it in an undisclosed location. Here's the point, okay? There are things that are very dangerous to our health and our lives. And we see warnings all the time, right? We, We get this. Fire, fire, whatever, like there's just warnings all around us. And we understand that there's dangerous things. Here's what you need to know. There are things that are very dangerous and deadly to our eternal lives with God as well. And as we get into Philippians chapter 3 today, Paul is going to issue us a warning, a very direct, a very intense warning, as he's going to talk about something that was really incredibly dangerous to the church in Philippi, but also still dangerous to people today. And it's not liquid fire, but it's religion. It's legalism, it's pride, it's self-righteousness. Things that are so dangerous to us because it will keep people from knowing Jesus. It will keep people from coming to Jesus and finding eternal salvation and just ultimate satisfaction in life. And this is what we're going to talk about. So let's get into this, verse 1 of chapter 3. Here's what Paul says He says, Finally, my brothers, all right, and this is not like him saying finally and he's going to wrap up the book, but he's moving on to a different point. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I want you to circle this in your Bible. Rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. All right, Paul is, what, here's what he's saying. He's, he's basically saying that he's going to remind this church of some things that he has told them. As he started this church, he pastored this church for many years, he's saying, I'm going to remind you of some things that I've told you repeatedly throughout the years. And honestly, this is what I'm going to do today. Doxa. I'm just going to remind you of some things. So if you've been around Doxa for a while, I'm going to tell you some things that you have heard before. But just like Paul says, it's good for us. And we need to be reminded of them. We need to think about these things. And he says this is actually safe for us. In other words, Paul is saying that the church will be protected from religion, legalism, from false doctrine, from false gospels, heretical teachings, pride, self-righteousness, all of that if we regularly study the true gospel. And this is why we do what we do here at Doxa. This is why we always seek to open the Bible together, and we teach the Bible, and we sing the gospel, and we teach the gospel, and we rehearse the gospel, and we pray the gospel, because we are so prone to easily forget who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, because we are all sinful, and we live in a world that in many ways rejects all the things of God. And we do this To remind us to to not only we need Jesus for salvation, but also to build up Christians to to love in good works and truth so that we don't stray away from Jesus. And so Paul is going to remind us of some very important things today, but he's going to do it through the form of a very direct warning. And here's what he says look at verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. All right, so here's, here's what's happening, okay? These dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh were known as Judaizers, all right? A group of people known as Judaizers, and, and these Judaizers were very religious people. And they were religious, and they would really just oppose Paul and the gospel of Jesus, So they would follow around Paul and really just argue against the things that he said and the things that he taught. And so wherever Paul would go and plant a church, they would go with him and they would show up and they would teach the things in opposition to what Paul taught. Wherever he would go and teach the gospel and disciple and make disciples, they would come and try and undo all of what he was doing. But these people were a really big threat to the early church. They were a really big threat to the souls of people and the truth of the gospel. Because what they were doing is they were confusing people about the love of God. They were confusing people about the gospel. They were confusing them on Jesus and threatening the eternal life with God. Now, throughout the history of the church, and I would say even today, there are people who are like this. People who attack the integrity of the Bible. People who attack the truth of the gospel where their primary agenda is not of Jesus like Paul but to lead people away from him and even in our city today of Madison in our if we think about our time and place where we live Paul's words are so like very helpful to us because we have groups in our city prominent groups here in Madison that seek to do this very thing And I want you to know that despite the pervasive ideology of relativism and pluralism, that's so deeply rooted in our culture that says truth is more or less relative, we need to understand that we all need humility as people. And we need to realize that there is in fact an absolute truth. There is in fact a God and we are not him. And no matter how much we wanna play God and decide what is right and wrong and true and false, there is a God and he has spoken. And so there are some things that are in fact true and some things that are false. There's some things that are right and there's some things that are actually wrong. And no matter what the status of someone or the letters behind their name or the position they hold or the platform that they stand on, not all truth, not all truth claims are truthful. And Paul is saying that the truth, the absolute truth that we need to know is all around the man Jesus, who is not just the man Jesus, but he's the God-man Jesus whose words we have in the Bible. And these Judaizers, all right, what they did is they essentially taught that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and the gospel itself was not enough for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life with God in heaven. They just completely disregarded Jesus' teachings which were validated through the resurrection and they insisted that in order to be right with God, all right, it was, it was much more than just Jesus, and his gift of, of, of grace through faith. But really, what it was all about, it was all about our good works. And so they said, you follow the Mosaic law, you follow the, the Ten Commandments, and so they would teach that if you live in a really good way, if you follow the rules, if you follow the Ten Commandments and the hundreds of other laws that surrounded the Jewish life, and you did it well, then you would be right with God. I want you to know that this is the essence of Religion. And religion is awful in the sight of God. You hear people talk about how terrible religion is. Paul would kind of say, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Understand this, okay? Religion is very different from Christianity. And when I say religion, I'm not talking about what James calls like pure, undefiled religion like caring for the widows and the orphans and the poor but i'm talking about man-made religions and traditions that try to really just prefer like build a ladder in which we climb our way and be acceptable to god this is what i'm talking about with religion religion says that it's all about what i do and how i live to be right with god it's very much about me and my good works christianity says no it's not so much about me and my works, but it's all about Jesus and His works and what He has done for me to make me right with God. And so we can define religion as confidence in the works of our flesh to bring us to God. And as I, as I talk about this religious attitude, I know that there are likely some of you here today that you think this way. Okay, you, you have like a religious mindset that maybe you grew up in, in a very legalistic, fundamental church, a religious church, not a Jesus-loving church. And you have this tendency to think about your relationship with God, that it's all about like, what you do, what you don't do, and how you live. And if that is you, because I'll, I'll tell you, I love that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here, because I'll tell you two things. Number one, you need to know that you're wrong. You're really wrong. You're thinking about it all wrong. But number two, Paul has something amazing to tell you today something so great that if you hear it and you accept it you will walk out of here rejoicing like never before rejoicing just like Paul but these Judaizers right, these were very religious people very egocentric people, very prideful people, and Paul is warning these Christians in Philippi about him. He's saying, I can't be with you, I'm locked up in prison, but I need you to know there's religious people coming and they are going to ruin everything. They're going to confuse people and change your view of Jesus, so look out. Paul is saying that there is a very big difference between a Christian and a religious person. Do you know that? I actually hate when people like I meet somebody and like I've been meeting some people at my daughter's school and I'm in the pickup line and talking to people and they like, you know, they cuss in front of me and they find out I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm sorry, I know you're very religious and you don't like that thing and then I have to cuss at them to prove that I'm not religious. You know, I don't do that. <laughs> but, but you know, I, I actually don't prefer to be called religious. I follow Jesus. There's a big difference, and here's how Paul explains the difference. All right, first. He says that these religious people are dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. Okay, and so when he says dogs, we need to understand, we might miss this because in this time, you know, they didn't have like domesticated dogs that were like, you know, our friends and like cuddly cute pets. You know, if Paul was writing this today, he might use cats instead because they're just terrible, right? <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. If I can take a shot at a cat, I totally will. But um, so anyway, they're dogs. And dogs in this time, they're just nasty animals. They're wild, they're unclean, they were just dangerous. They wandered around the city, they fed on trash, they carried diseases that would pass it on to humans, and they were just very, very dangerous. This is how Paul viewed religion and religious people. Dangerous. They were dangerous dogs because they fed on the trash of false doctrine. They corrupted the truth of the gospel and they spread the disease of a false gospel. And Paul is very strong with this, All right? He's so strong. Like up until this point, you, he was like so filled with joy and encouragement and soft and kind, and he still is that. But he's at this place of like, you don't understand. This is like liquid fire. This will melt your face off. This will kill you if you consume it. And he says, "Look out for these dogs. Look out for these Judaizers." because they're entering into the church, they're teaching a false gospel, they're telling people false things about Jesus, and people were getting confused about what it means to come to God, what it means to live for God, who Jesus Christ actually is, and because of their confusing, they were drifting away from Jesus towards eternal death and towards eternal separation from God. So it's a big deal for Paul. He loved these people, he was trying to protect them, but he also calls them evil workers. And mutilators of the flesh. All right, and when he calls them mutilators of the flesh, he's referring to, to circumcision. All right, that these, these people were really just, in essence, teaching that in order to be saved from sin and escape hell and be right with God and e- obtain eternity in heaven, it was faith, but faith plus good works, specifically the good works of circumcision. i want to explain this to you i'm not going to show you a diagram or anything like that we'll do that in some of our equipping classes but no totally not but i want to explain this we need to understand this if you know your bible all right these people got this concept of circumcision from the bible all right that if we go all the way back to the book of origins the book of genesis there was a man named abraham abraham was not a jewish man he wasn't looking for god but god was looking for him and god came to him. He saw him. He loved him. He saved him. He told Abraham that I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I want to be your God, and I'm going to use you to tell the world that the God who created everything, the God who loves everyone, has made a way to be with him as life was intended before sin came into the world. And out of his great love, God initiated this relationship with Abraham, and God told him after that to circumcise himself as a symbol of the covenant, the unbreakable relationship that he had with him. Again, I don't understand why a jersey would have worked just fine, but that's God's prerogative. I'll ask Jesus when I get to heaven, why circumcision? But this is what they did. And so good Jews, what they would do, the God's people in the Old Testament, is that they were, as they were waiting for the coming Messiah of Jesus... They had their boys circumcised as an outward symbol of what was to be true inwardly, that being a circumcised heart that loved, served, worshipped, feared God. But here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know about circumcision, the Old Testament, all of it. Because all of that was given to point us to and to prepare us for the coming of Jesus. And once Jesus came, the Old Testament was fulfilled. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, verse seventeen, that He came to fulfill the law. And so the result is, is that once we have Jesus, we don't need to continually do the same rituals and the same symbolism that they had in the Old Testament. You know, I'll give you a, a couple of examples. For example, in the Old Testament, they had a temple, and the temple was where God dwelled among people. But we don't need a temple anymore because we have Jesus. Who is the presence of God with us that we are now in fact the temple and we have the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us upon faith in addition to that in the Old Testament they also had priests and these priests were the mediators between God and people but we no longer need a mediator between us and God because as Hebrews chapter 11 says that Jesus is our high priest and he mediates between us and the father But these also, like in the Old Testament, they had these sacrifices. The priests would offer sacrifices for the sins of people to God. We no longer have to offer sacrifices in this way because Jesus is the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. And so the point is, the whole Old Testament was in preparation. It was anticipatory to the coming of Jesus and once jesus came everything was finished cuz you know my favorite thing that jesus ever said in his last victory breath on the cross remember it is finished this is what jesus was talking about but with all of that these people that paul was warning the philippians about these religious people they didn't understand rightly that everything was about jesus because He had fulfilled all the old testament commands and so they were saying you must believe in jesus and be circumcised to be right with god and as they said these things they were saying hey you got to do these good works to be right with god as they were saying this here's what they were basically saying this is exactly what they were saying they were saying that jesus is not enough That Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection are not enough, and so what we have to do is we have to come alongside the work of Jesus with our good works so that we can add something and actually be saved and come to God. It's Jesus plus good works. And Paul just comes in and he says, no, no, no. That's not it at all. This is by definition religion. Jesus plus good works for salvation. And I want you to know, guys, we need to know that anytime you add to the gospel, you actually lose the gospel. Because it's only Jesus. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And conversely, Jesus plus anything ruins everything. And this is so important for us to understand. This is the gospel truth. Ephesians chapter 2 and Titus chapter 3 make it very clear that no one can come to God by doing good works. And I know that somebody here, you need to hear this that you can spend your entire life trying to be a good person. You can spend your entire life trying to do things that will make you pleasing in the sight of God, but you cannot do anything, anything good enough to take away the sin in your life which is keeping you from God. The main problem in all of our lives, which put humanity on a common ground, is sin. And sin is anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the very nature of sin is it separates. It separates us from God. And no amount of work that we can do in our life will ever close that separation. If that separation goes on forever, unmediated, this is where you get into the terrible conscious reality of hell. It's only Jesus. And Paul is saying, religion cannot save you. Good works cannot save you. You trying to be a good person cannot save you. You following the rules and the laws cannot save you. Church cannot save you. Baptism cannot save you. Nothing. It's only Jesus. And we need to be constantly reminded of this, and some of us in here, you need to be written, like, learn this for the first time today, that salvation and forgiveness of sin, a life with God, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. And you can spend your entire life trying to live in a certain way where you're trying to earn God's love and be acceptable in His eyes, but you need to understand you're missing it. You're missing it. This is what religion is all about. You know what religion tells you? Religion tells you, clean up your life. Stop looking at pornography. Stop cussing. Stop cutting old ladies off on the highway, right? Stop stealing money, stop getting drunk, stop sleeping around. Clean up your life and then you will be acceptable to God. Some of you have been told that. Some of you believe that. You're living in this right now. It's religion. And it's a dog. Jesus says no amount of good that you do impacts your sin problem with God. He says, it's me. It's my grace. It's my gospel. And so just hear me on this, Doxa. All you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. Some of you have been coming to Doxa for a really long time now. But you've never come to Jesus for salvation. And it's my prayer. I mean, Holy Spirit, just help us to understand this. That all you need is is Jesus salvation in life with God is by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus alone religion will keep you from seeing that religion will keep you from Jesus because you will miss out on his grace because you're fixated on your works and this is why Paul says it's so dangerous look out now, in contrast to these religious people, Paul says that the Christian is very different. And he mentions, look back to verse 3, he mentions three things that mark a Christian. All right? He says, for we are the circumcision, all right, we are God's people through faith in Jesus who have a circumcised heart that loves God, We're the, we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. So the first thing he says is that the Christian worships God in the Spirit, pointing to the reality that we don't depend on our own good works to be with God, but we depend on the works of Jesus. And this word, worship, literally means to devote our life to, and because this news is so great and we look to Jesus and not to ourselves, we devote our life to following Jesus. Secondarily, Paul says that the Christian glories in Christ. That word glories literally means to boast in Christ. And this is very different from religious people. Very different. Because religious people who depend on religion boast in themselves. You know in religious people? Maybe you are a religious person. Religious people boast about what they have done. They boast about how good they are, how good they appear. In contrast, the Christian has nothing to boast about except Jesus, amen? Because we understand that we don't bring much to the table. And our lives sing the the words of the great old hymn, only a sinner, boasting excluded, pride I abase, I am only a sinner saved by grace. This is who we are. It's who we are, Doxa. And, And it's my hope, Doxa, We can be known for so many things as a church. Let's be known for boasting in Jesus. Amen? He's worthy. He's worth it. And thirdly, Paul says that the Christian has no confidence in the flesh. That we understand that there is nothing that I do to save myself and to make myself right before God. And when you read the Bible, if you know your Bible, you'll discover that it has nothing good to say about the flesh. Nothing good to say about the flesh. But the interesting part is that many people today depend entirely on what they themselves can do to please God through the works of their flesh. And the truth is, guys, every single one of us has our confidence somewhere. But the Christian, our confidence is in Jesus and not ourselves. This is very, very different from religion. As Christians, we we understand that we are sinners, that we're saved by Jesus, and the result of this understanding and this posture is really twofold. It's humility and joy. It's humility because we know that we're not a good person, but Jesus is a good God, right? We understand, that there is not anything good in me. There's sin in me. I'm totally depraved, it's not that Jesus looks down from heaven. God looks down from heaven and He sees good people in bad people. God looks down from heaven and He sees bad people in the Lord Jesus. And we understand that, and that produces humility in us. We understand that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and this humbles us because we know that none of us have lived a life acceptable in the sight of God. But Jesus has lived a perfect life for me. Humility. And now that we know the love of Jesus and the salvation of Jesus, this also leads to a life of joy, incredible joy. Do you have this joy? Have you felt this joy? This joy where like the pressure is off for me to please Jesus. Like I don't have to please God with all my religious efforts and all, of my, all that stuff because Jesus sits at the side of God and He pleases God for me. This is joy, it's joy. So the Christian life, when we understand this, the Christian life is not so much something that I live for God, but it's something that God lives through me, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, allowing me to live like Jesus for the sake of the world, to be obedient to God. Joy. And this is why Paul says, look back to verse 1, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And this rejoice in the Lord this is the first time he's he said rejoice and he's talked about joy repeatedly but this is the first time in Philippians that he says rejoice and then he qualifies it with in the Lord he's not saying just don't it's not just about blind rejoicing but this is about a joy in the Lord Jesus because of all that he is all that he's done and his gospel and all that he gives and he says rejoice religious people though are not humble and joyful They tend to be very prideful, stressed, and judgmental. They're prideful because everything is about them. They're totally fixated on what they can do and and how good they live. And they're constantly stressed because they can never live up to the standard of God and deep down inside them, they actually know that they can't be perfect. But they keep trying. And as they keep trying, they turn judgmental because then they start comparing their life with other people's life to make them feel better about their good works and they look down on other people. It's just hypocrisy. And I love this about Paul. All right, As Paul is sharing this, he's lived on both sides of the fence. Religious and Christian. And as he considers his life, he says that the religious life and religion as a whole is just rubbish. Look at verse four. Paul essentially gives us his resume of good works that he held on to before he met Jesus. Verse four, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's saying these Judaizers are coming in and saying, you need to do all these things. And Paul is like, you're going to put confidence in that? Let me tell you how good I am. You haven't even arrived yet. You're still peewee league. You're not even varsity, right? You're JV. He's like, let me tell you about me. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is a list of Paul's good religious works that he built to be right with God. And he lived much of his life as a really religious man, and he had a lot of great reasons to be confident, confident in the works of his flesh. And so as he confronts these religious people, he basically says, let me tell you about confidence, and let me tell you about being like a good religious person. He's saying, I was born a pure Hebrew circumcised on the eighth day the tribe of benjamin he's saying my lineage my background is as superior as it gets i come from the right people you don't get any better than me and he goes on to say that he reached the summit of what every pharisee or religious person could hope to attain that he followed the law perfectly that he was outwardly blameless in terms of following the rules And living a perfect life like that and he was extremely zealous and passionate so he says i am the best okay if you want to boast and you want to have confidence in the flesh let's have confidence i am the best i am as good as it gets i am like you need to look to me and everybody knew that everybody knew that paul was the best and so you know we look at this list and we're like that's ridiculous you know i I would never have a list like that. I've never heard of anybody bragging about being circumcised on day eight of their life, right? But here's what I'll tell you. Because we all have lists like this. For some of you, your religious list is the number of Bible studies that you're involved with every week. You have your coffee in Jesus time with the girls 15 times a day, and you're like, oh, look at me. And that's what you cling to to show how close you are and how religious you are. Other times it's baptism or confirmation. They weren't baptized, they weren't confirmed. Look at me, this is my confidence before God. For some of you, it's how much theology you think you know. You got a stack of books in your office or your bedroom that you've read and you make sure everybody sees it so they know how good you are so you can feel good about yourself and you're standing with God because it just makes you feel good. Others of you, it's how much you give. It's I man, I, I go over and above the tithe. Look at that. Whatever the case may be, we've all got these little lists of good things that we have accomplished that make us feel good enough for God and better than others. This is religion. And this is what Paul used to cling to. This is what he used to use to kind of measure his relationship with God but something massive changed. All right, Paul met Jesus and he realized, listen to this, he realized he was using the wrong measuring stick. See, Paul was looking to the outside and not the inside. He was comparing himself with the standards set by men and not by God. And as far as obeying the outward demands of the law, Paul's life was a success, he was blameless. But there was a big problem in Paul's life. All right, he never stopped to consider the inward sins that he was committing. If you go back to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made it very clear that there are sinful attitudes and appetites as well as sinful actions. And so when Paul would measure his life, he would look at his actions, he'd be like, I'm righteous, I'm, I'm good. But he never thought about what was inside him until Acts chapter 9 and he meets Jesus face to face. He sees the glory of God and in his, he sees Jesus' perfection and it was the first time that he saw how sinful and broken he actually is. And as that happens, here's what he says, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I want you to circle rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith and when paul met jesus and saw the glory and the perfection of god he also saw the imperfections of his life and his inward sin and he realized how messed up and broken he actually was christian has this happened to you before you're reading the bible all of a sudden that book turns into a mirror and you see how nasty you are you see how broken you are you come to church and you're reminded of that And then so many people close the book, put it down, don't read it anymore, and distance themselves from church because we don't like to see that part of ourselves. It's religious. It will keep you from Jesus because when you don't see that, when you don't acknowledge it, you don't need a Savior. You become your functional Savior, which is no Savior at all. But as Paul saw his brokenness... It was then that he changed his evaluations and values and gave up on works-based righteousness to make himself acceptable to God. That he realized that he had been working really hard to be righteous in God's sight, but he was not righteous at all because none of his good works could ever produce real righteousness that would make him acceptable to God. And he says this in Romans chapter 3. He's quoting Psalm 14, and he says, None are righteous, not one, no one understands listen this no one seeks god all have turned aside together they have become worthless no one does good not even one this is true of all of our lives not one person in this world is righteous on their own and so let me just explain why righteousness is such a big deal okay it's a really really big deal it starts with god that god is in fact righteous That means that he's holy he's perfect and he's good and he made us in his image and as his image bearers he made us to be like him but due to our sin and our rebellion against God and who he is and what he says we have become unrighteous we are not perfect like God and we understand this as humanity right I mean all people mess up and when we mess up we have that famous saying well no one is perfect except for God but we know that we're broken but this is the issue no one is perfect we're all unrighteous and while no one is perfect and righteous deep down in all of us there is a desire for it because we have been created in the image of God for this and this is why we, as people, we spend so much money and so much time on self-help books and self-help coaching seminars and all of these different things because we're trying to better our lives. That deep down inside of us, we know that there's something more inside of me that I'm not who I should be. I need to be better. It's a longing for righteousness. And when it comes to God, we, a lot of people just start to think, okay, I need to be better. I'm going to make a moral list I'm going to start doing some good things and that way i can declare myself a good person who is doing a good job and who can be in a good place with god this is what paul did with that list that we just read but here's the problem and you need to know this god's standard is not good or better but perfect you get that he's righteous he's perfect and i need you to know that god doesn't grade on a curve Okay? It's not like we're a, a, a C student and it's like, I'm going to be fine. You know, it's, I'm going to be fine. It's not like that with God. God's grading system is not on a sliding scale. It's a pass-fail, perfect or imperfect. That's God's skill. Jesus says in Matthew 5.20 that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He also says in Matthew 5.48 to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, what is this about? Right? Like, if we cannot be perfect, and Jesus knows this because he's God, like, why would he ask us and command us and tell us to be perfect? Why would he do that? It seems cruel. Here's what I think. He did that so that we would be humbled. That we would be humbled and that we would know that we need help. That we would need a Savior. That we need Jesus because we don't possess righteousness on our own and even if you at this moment just decided that you know what i'm going to do i'm going to be perfect i'm going to strive for righteousness i'm going to get all in with religion and i'm not going to do anything bad anymore even if you did that right now and if you could do that it's too late because you've already sinned and you've already failed this is the problem with works righteousness we cannot be perfect And so here's the big question how are we made righteous in god's sight if you study all of the world religions, they essentially say the same thing. It's about doing a bunch of stuff, right? Buddhism will tell you to cease all of your desires. Hinduism will tell you to kind of detach yourself from the ego. Islam will tell you what you really need to do is be really good and do moral things and that at the end of life, maybe Allah will be gracious enough to let you in with him. But it's all about doing good things, to be declared righteous Paul says, no, no. And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Paul says, it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It's about his works for you, not your works for him. And Paul says, you need Jesus. We cannot make ourselves righteous. And God, out of his great love for us, he allows Jesus to do it for us, trusting in him and what he has done. Guys, this is the good news. This is the gospel, and this brings joy. You feel joyful. You feel joyful. Guys, we need to be a little bit more charismatic. This is like the flags and the foghorns need to come out at this point because this is good news, right? This is gospel news. It's about Jesus. It's not about me in my fickle heart and my sinful actions. It is all about Jesus. And this is why Paul calls all of his religious accomplishments, accomplishments, look back, rubbish. Rubbish. And that term rubbish literally means animal excrement all right and at the risk of sounding crass he says that it's all a big pile of dog crap compared to knowing Jesus and he uses the vulgarity of this term to help us to like oh my gosh he's serious and what he's saying is like you can have the bread of life that is Jesus to satisfy everything about you or you can choose this big steaming pile of dog dung. what do you want And Paul said, I chose Jesus, and now he's trying to help people to choose Jesus. Paul wanted to know Christ more than anything. And this is the essence of Paul's theology, to know Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so let me ask you this. The most important question that you will ever answer, guys, do you know Christ, as Paul is talking about? Now understand that question. I didn't say, do you know about Christ? You can know a lot of things about a lot of people without really knowing them. Do you know Jesus in a saving way? Have you put your faith in him? He's inviting you to do that. Let me wrap up with this. Verse nine. When you can say, I know Christ, because here's the results. Verse nine. Being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead because here is the difference that Jesus makes in my life God sees me as righteous through Jesus And even when I sin and feel unrighteous and I'm in a bad place and I mess up and I'm experiencing guilt and shame because of the mistakes I've made, the sins I've committed, Jesus stands in my place and advocates to the Father on my behalf, that I have a righteousness that's outside of myself. And this leads me to joy. And in this, I rejoice. I have the power of God to navigate life. So when sufferings come, and sin comes, and trials come, and situations come, I have the power to get through it, and it's not a power that causes me to white-knuckle it, but it's a power that causes me to surrender so the power of God through the Holy Spirit of God can work through me. That the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans eight eleven, is alive and well and living in me, empowering me to live for Jesus, for the glory of God. Joy. I have assurance of my salvation knowing that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that I know Him, He knows me, that I am His, and He is mine. And Jesus, He walks with me, He talks with me, He protects me, and He brings me through as He brings me home. This is joy. And I have a glorious future. A light at the end of the tunnel of my life. And it's better than anything that I've ever experienced and it's more glorious than anything I can even imagine where sin and death and suffering and tears and trials, all that will be gone and it will be just joy, perfection, glory. That is my life. Christian, that is your life. Amen? Jesus is that good. Jesus is my joy. He's my hope. He's my savior. He's my helper. He's my friend. He's everything. It's Jesus over everything. And in this, I rejoice. And Christian, you can rejoice. And I pray that before you even open your mouth to sing, that you just ask God to remind you of this. Your life would be radically different. My life would be radically different if we thought about these things of God. And for those of you who are not a Christian, and you're here, this joy is not yours, but it could be. The offer is there. Gift righteousness is there. Jesus' outstretched arms are there for you to take it. The question is, is will you? Jesus is enough. It's all about him. God, thank you for Jesus. Father, I love you. As I think about who Rob Warren used to be and how your gift righteousness broke into my life and you saved me, you declared me to be righteous, you made me your kid and just changed everything about my life. I just say, thank you. And Jesus, we all say thank you. You are good and you are worthy. God, I I confess that far too often I forget the greatness of your gospel and just take it for granted. I don't experience this joy that Paul talks about repeatedly. And God, I just ask that In my weakness would you be strong in me that you would just help me you say that you're a helper and so help me constantly fix my eyes on jesus remember the gospel help us for those who have not received gift righteousness and still stand as an enemy of the cross and enemy of you because of sin would you help them to understand your profound love for them Jesus, you lived, you died, you rose for them. And will they feel that love and understand that you brought them here to save them from that sin so that they can rejoice as well and help them, Holy Spirit, to take that step of faith today. In Jesus' name, amen.